What up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of Indie Analysis. Today, we're talking about the New York Knicks. I'm your co-host, Alan J. Pandian, and we got interim co-host, Coach Kyle Curry. How are you doing, Coach? Doing well, Alan. It's always a pleasure, sir. It's always a pleasure to replace Fred. Always a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> so today, we're talking about the New York Knicks. They finished 37-45. Yeah. Pretty average for their their recent history. 11th in the East, they did not make the play-in or the playoffs, obviously. Uh, going over their primary rotation, they had Emmanuel Quickly, point guard, Evan Fournier, shooting guard, RJ Barrett, small forward, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson to round out the front court. And off the bench, they had Kemba Walker and kind of Derrick Rose playing that combo point guard off the bench. Uh, Alec Burks, Cam Reddish, Obi Toppin, and Taj Gibson. Unlike most teams that we've covered, such as the Atlanta Hawks or the Charlotte Hornets, the next problem wasn't their defense, it was their offense. Yeah. And all major statistical categories for offense, they were almost they're pretty much bottom five. They were last in league assists, they were 26th in the league in points per game, they were middle of the road in three-point shooting percentage, but Evan Fournier and their designated shooters had a lot to do with that. They were 27th league in field goal percentage, and they're 22nd in the league in bench points per game. So with that, I'm going to pass it to you, Coach. What do you think of this Knicks offense? The the Knicks offense, honestly, um, we talked about this off off of camera. I, it was weirdly inconsistent, considering that they didn't make many roster moves or any big roster moves throughout the season. You know, Julius yeah. Randle, uh, with the season he had two years ago, you know, you expect you expect him to get better. You expect yeah. progress. To what I'm looking for, you expect progress. To you expect him to build off of the season he had when they went to the playoffs. But obviously, he struggled in that Atlanta Hawks series in the playoffs two years ago, and then he never really seemed to regain his rhythm. Um, he settles for a lot of jumpers, I think. And it was almost like, okay, we're played through Julius Randle. He had this great season. Um, we saw R.J. Barrett have a really good season that year. He was shooting 40% that year from the three-point line. It's like, okay, well, let's kind of shift this then. He started shooting a lot more. The ball started being put in his hands, talking about R.J. Barrett. And then he started shooting poorly. He had a good scoring year last year. He was also very inefficient. You saw Kimball Walker, who should have been able to come in and be, at worst, the third guy on that team, but probably ended would have, would have ended up being first or second, to be honest. He struggled. He ended up getting benched. You know, there was there was so much that went on. Emmanuel quickly came on the last part of the season. You saw Cam Reddish come into the team, and uh, they were very open about you know, Tibbs not wanting to play him. And then, you know, he was a almost a 40% shooter in Atlanta. He came in and when he got playing time was shooting 26%. They were just, it was, a, it was crazy, especially considering how good they were defensively for being as young as they were. Yeah. It's, it, it's something that you don't really, in my mind, you wouldn't expect a young team like that to be, you know, to be as good defensively but struggle offensively. It was, it's, it's yeah. I don't know, it's strange. It's usually the opposite, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I will say that they relied heavily on ISO plays after mm -hmm. they the offense broke down maybe with like 14 seconds on the shot clock or half the shot clock left. They would just turn to Julius Randle or R.J. Barrett or another player like that to just ISO and try to create a bucket. Right. Uh, but Julius Randle, well, the ISO, ISO game usually works if you have a Kevin Durant or Kyrie or James yeah. Harden type of dude. Right. And the Knicks don't have any of those guys. So. No, no, no. <laughs> so um, Julius Randle averaged 20 points a game on 40% shooting for and for his position that's like really bad and in the mm -hmm. NBA that's still really bad for a 20 Absolutely. point per game score RJ Barrett's efficiency dropped as well so 
you can just see that the effects of isoball and the the lack of play design and play creativity was really in effect with their poor offense per se uh, moving out of their defense their defense like coach said for such a young team was actually really good anchored by what i'd say walmart rudy gobert and mitchell robinson <laughs> he's a he's a long athletic player uh, kind of reminds me of Rigo Barrett, just not as dominant, I think. But their team with Cam Reddish, RJ Barrett, those players like that, they could cover a lot of ground. They're very long and athletic. So it kind of makes sense that they're not a terrible team. And you have Tom Thibodeau, who is a defensive-centric coach, who yep. uh, definitely puts his player positions to succeed on the defensive end. Absolutely. I also think this, this was another thing that was weird. For a player like Mitchell Robinson, who is as young as he is, who's as good as he is defensively, and for a coach who is focused primarily on defense, Mitchell Robinson didn't play that much. Like, I don't yeah. understand. He only played 20, 24 minutes a game, something like that. I feel like yeah. he could have been given more opportunities to be on the floor. There's no reason why Mitchell Robinson, in my mind, should be playing fewer than 30 minutes and shouldn't be a double-double every night. I'm not saying he should be, you know, coming down with Minnesota Kevin Love type of numbers, but why couldn't he be Jared Allen-ish? Mm -hmm in that regard yeah. why couldn't he average you know 12 and 12 why couldn't mm -hmm. he average 15 and 10 something like that like it, yeah. it doesn't make sense to me i don't yeah. i don't understand it yeah and uh we'll get to that with uh coaches coaches a new segment where we made up but but really quick before we get to that segment i wanted to talk about the Knicks management and yeah. this has been like the kind of problem with new york for the past i don't know how many years they with either it's bad contracts or bad trades or whatever it is it's always i feel like a problem with the management and this this roster on paper it doesn't even look that bad it's just something didn't click and that's why uh, i wanted to pass it back to coach for his new segment coaches coaches where we talk about prospect coaches for this team all right so tom Thibodeau is a very good coach We've seen what he's done with other teams. We saw what he did specifically. When you think of Tom Thibodeau, you're probably going to think of the Chicago Bulls, that team with Derrick Rose, Luol Deng, Joakim Noah back in, back in those guys, their primes. Before Derrick Rose got injured, that was a team that folks just knew at some point was going to be running the league. Who knows if not for the Heatles in those couple of years, they, they might have gotten the championship. You know, mm -hmm. Obviously, Derrick Rose's injury changed the course of, of his career in that team. Um, but Tom Thibodeau doesn't seem to want to let that go. We've yeah. we've seen him coach in Chicago, and then all of a sudden he was in Minnesota, and now he's in New York, and everywhere he's gone, he has tried to recreate that team, even to the extent that he has signed multiple players from those teams. And it just it it just screams that he can't adapt, he can't let go, and that he's trying to recreate something that's no longer there. Um, we 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 know about the infamous issues. On that Minnesota team, remember Jimmy Butler, people remember him going off on those players. Some of those players calling them soft and mm -hmm. having those issues. Tom Thibodeau doesn't seem to be able to coach teams with young players. He would be very good, I think, with teams that are are more closer to championship ready, teams that are full of veterans. I believe he was an assistant coach on those ball that Boston team um, that won a championship. He could probably coach play, you know, players like players like that, players that are used to being Coach Tar, who are used to working, who know their place, who know what they're doing in the league. But having yeah. young players come in, we're talking about um, Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish shot 38, 39% for Atlanta and then got traded to New York and then didn't play, lost minutes and shot 26%. And I think that's part of that is the coaching. It, was, it wasn't a secret that he did not want to play 
Cam Reddish, and Cam Reddish played like the coach that he was playing for didn't want to play him. Uh, we know he infamously benched Kimball Walker. Kimball Walker is a very good player. I've never seen in the league that he would just you would just bench a player like that, pull him out of rotation, making that much yeah. money, a player who's that talented um, in that type of role. So there are, there are a lot of decisions that, that Tibbs makes that just don't make sense to me. A coaching shift with the same roster could, could, could do wonders, even as well as they did on defense. So my picks, um, four of them, I'm not going to go too in-depth today because I know I'm talking a lot. Uh, Mark Jackson. We saw what he did with Golden State several years ago. Uh, Steve Kerr gets a lot of that credit, and he absolutely deserves that credit. Uh, but Mark Jackson was the coach that put them on the map. We know he's good with developing players. We know he put them in situations to be successful because New York does have a lot of offensive talent. And I think Mark Jackson would be able to handle the locker room. The development and the locker room are two major things, especially for younger players, teams with younger players that are going to be really, really important in having a successful and consistent team. So we've seen this team be decent, but very inconsistent. The one thing about him was is I don't know how he would do with the front office. We know the Knicks don't necessarily have a, a great front office. Um, they have a very infamous front office. And we know that Mark Jackson has had issues before with front offices. Um, Frank Vogel, I think, is a good option. He could bring a similar defensive mindset and defensive focus to that team. Again, we saw what he did with the Lakers. We've seen what he did with Indiana. Um, and I think that Frank Vogel on a team who has shown they can play defense and have a defensive identity and have their kind of be at the forefront of what they're doing on the floor, he could, he could, he could work wonders with that team. Alvin Gentry is a very good coach. I think he's another coach that is able to coach young players. Um, you need a clear direction with young players. You need to be able to speak to young players a, a, a specific type of way. Yeah. Um, we saw Jim. Be uh, well, obviously, we're 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 Akron Cleveland guys, and Jim Beheim from Michigan uh, mm -hmm. a couple years ago didn't work out with the Cavs. But they said he came in, he was trying to coach like it was a college team, and that's that to me describes Tom Thibodeau. He coaches the NBA players as if they are college kids, and that doesn't seem to be working for a lot of those players. And I think Alvin Gentry has proven he can coach established players he can coach younger players he did a decent job at the end of the last season working with sacramento obviously he wasn't their long-term uh guy but he did a good job coaching them he's had success in the league he's coached superstars before and i think he could do yeah. a very good job here as well sam cassell i'm going to keep pushing sam cassell as a coach the way i'm pushing ben simmons as a player sam cassell <laughs> sam cassell i think deserves a shot in the league to coach uh, again, he's been, you know, Doc Rivers' protege. He's been on benches coaching as an assistant coach since 2009. This yeah. is about to be his 14th, 15th year as a coach. He had great success as a player, three rings. He was a point guard. Some of the best coaches have been point guards because your job on the floor is seeing everything that's happening. Well, even before yeah. it happens, and as a coach, you're able to do that, I think, um, even more effectively because you're, you're supposed to – you're getting paid to see everything. Um, and not really worried about being on the floor at the same time. I think he could do a good job. Again, I think he'd have the respect of those players. He obviously knows the game. I think he could work wonders for that team as well. Going back to Frank Vogel, you touched on Paul George, but I think a lot of the credit has to go to Frank Vogel because yeah. Frank Vogel definitely put Paul George in the position to be a, a, an all-star, a superstar type of player. So, And his has to, a lot to do with Frank Vogel. So. Personally, I, I'm liking either Sam Cassell or Frank Vogel. I think for Vogel, that you keep the same kind of defensive identity so you're not yeah. losing that end. And Mitchell Robinson will definitely get a lot more minutes because you look back, you had Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis, Roy Hibbert, those type of players who are yeah. uh, good defenders. And I think Mitchell yeah. Robinson could definitely fit in that mold. 
and but at the same time you get uh, smart offensive game plans but also you bring the best out of your young players and mm-hmm. I think Frank Vogel would be a good fit in New York so we have I think we brought up Frank Vogel for Sacramento but I think he's just a uh, he's a he's a good coach to kind of just place in a situation and yeah. he can definitely adapt very well so well like I said we talked about it with Sacramento Frank Vogel gets a lot of crap for the way last year went with the Lakers what nobody really talks about is the injuries they had, the front office issues they had, the issues on the floor they had, which I guess can be attributed to the coach. But it wasn't all him. There was a lot of stuff that went on that I think he was kind of blamed for. With that, we're going to move on to the offseason moves. Let's start with salary issues. I, I We talked about this off camera, but I yeah. don't think, personally, I don't think Evan Fournier is worth Seventeen million dollars right now. You think that with a player that with that he led the Knicks and set a record for the Knicks in three point shooting, yeah. And he's a decent off. He's a pretty good offensive scorer. You think he is worth seventeen million? And in this league, you also argued with players making fifty million a year as kind of justified in that sense. I I think that um, players like him, you look at the the context surrounding the team and how the team does and you're saying why is a team that's not even making playoffs paying a player like this this much money um he's been in the league 10 years he shot dang near 40 percent last year he was a double digit a game score um as like a third or fourth option and again yeah like you said he set the record he broke the record for Knicks threes in a season so i think he is doing his job if you take the same player Evan Fournier at his same salary, $17 million, and you add a round or two in the playoffs, I don't think we're having this same conversation. But I think when you look at, you know, the way their season went, when you look at the record they had, you almost are wondering why you're paying any player that much money. But I look at his salary. I look at Derrick Rose's salary. I think Derrick Rose is about to be making $15 million. Is Derrick Rose worth $15 million? Um, at this point, you could probably look at at, at Julius Randle. Is, is Julius Randle worth the almost twenty million he's making? Which I think I'm not saying he's not worth it, but I think before you get to Evan Fournier, I think you got to look at other folks as well, um, especially on a team where there are only three guy handful of guys who are even making, you know, double ten million, ten mm-hmm. million plus on that team. This is a team that yeah. doesn't really have many expensive guys. And again, yeah. a team that's paying Jalen Brunson a hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. Evan Fournier is not the first salary I'm questioning. Yeah. No offense yeah. to Jalen Brunson. Speaking of Jalen Brunson, let's get to free agency. Uh, yeah, so let's bad. start with – you're good. Uh, we st- they re-signed Mitchell Robinson, so you'd like to say, Walmart, Rudy Gobert. Yes. They signed, <laughs> they signed Isaiah Hartenstein <laughs> from the Clippers, and then, like you said, they signed Jalen Brunson. And me personally – well, we'll look. We'll look at this trader, but I don't think is he worth twenty five million dollars a year for one successful playoff run. I guess I don't know. You look at his season; he averaged around sixteen to twenty points a game. That kind of range, which is him being a young player. That's good. He's developing to a a strong offensive player. But yeah, after just one good playoffs against the Jazz and Phoenix and Golden State, after those good series, just after that, is he worth twenty five million dollars? I'm, I'm not too sure, but. Uh, New York seems to think so. So, and I think um, his dad is either like an assistant coach there, or he's, he's on the staff there. So there's kind of that little uh, tampering per se. Yeah, they're and, definitely being investigated for tampering, right? Now. Yeah, that's yeah. another so, thing. 
So I don't know. Um, Slide that in there. <laughs> talk about him more when we talk about this next trade. And if you haven't heard, these two partners have been in trade talks for a while now, and that is New York to get Donovan Mitchell from Utah. Yeah. New York gets Donovan Mitchell, and you, mm-hmm. Utah could get Evan Fournier, Obi Toppin, Cam Reddish, Trevor Kills, the Knicks rookie this year, yes. and at least three first round picks. I think Utah wanted like eight or six first round picks or something crazy like that after that Rudy Gobert trade, but yep. that's just not, if I'm New York, I'm just not accepting that. The reason why this trade doesn't really make sense in my opinion for New York is that they, like we just said, they just signed Jalen Brunson, a 6-1 guard who is a ball dominant guard. If you want to add another 6-1 guard who can't really defend that well, and Donovan Mitchell, who I think he's an all-star player, but they already have Derrick Rose, they're, they're about to lose Kemba, but Derrick Rose, Jalen Brunson, and Donovan Mitchell three shorter guards who are all ball dominant and I don't know what do you think about that I, I think it doesn't make sense to me for a couple reasons number one you just pay Jalen Brunson 25 million dollars mm-hmm. so your plan is either to start them both to very ball dominant they're they're very similar in their mm-hmm. style of play Jalen Brunson I think is better as a distributor um and he I think is a better shooter but they're very as far as them both being small and and how they how they handle the ball, how they score, they're similar players in that regard. Are you going to play through two players who are both that short, that small? We haven't seen that really be successful mm-hmm. uh, in the league. I don't and I don't think now it's going to start, especially not in New York, especially when you would have to trade. Basically, in trades you just named, you're trading Cam Reddish, who Cam Reddish and and, and Evan Fournier, who are your two best shooters, um, yeah. guys who would be able to open up space. Uh, for Jalen Brunson, open up space for Donovan Mitchell to be able to get into the lane or to ham- to be able to go score, and then for the money, I mean, but based on the money, I mean, you remember we talked about Jalen Brunson. Uh, Derrick Rose has an option; he's going to be making about fifteen million if he takes it. Mitchell Robinson just signed a contract as well, so he's yeah. he's making a lot more money as well, he's making somewhere of fourteen, fifteen, sixteen million dollars based on how it's structured. I think overall it's sixty sixty ish million. Um, but I think he'll be making around that as well. So you're putting a lot of money um, into a few players who, let's be honest, make you a fringe playoff team. They don't even guarantee you the way the East is right now, a yeah. playoff spot. I mean, we, does that does that move make them better than the, the Bucks? No. Does it make them better than the Heat? No. The Sixers? No. The Cavs? I don't, I don't think so. When you can yeah. go into the Cavs, I don't think it makes them better than them either. Uh, how many teams really have 30? You think about teams that are paying guys 30 plus million dollars. You know, these are teams that are looking to win a championship. And they are guys who have earned that based on their play. Donovan Mitchell earned that, I will say, with Utah, with the team that was surrounding him. They were a good team on paper every year. They were projected the last about three years to yeah. go to at least the Western Conference Finals for a lot of folks. Some folks had him as a finals team the last couple of years. Obviously, that never panned out. But I don't think that Donovan Mitchell by himself is going to put you over the top like that. And especially with this signing of Jalen Brunson, it just kind of seems like the Knicks, and this was my thought, the Knicks are more worried about selling tickets, it yeah. seems, than about you know putting banners up in the Raptors or making it to the playoffs. When you're just trying to sign players with names, I don't, I don't necessarily see that happen. I forgot to mention this one uh, potential free agent signing that I think they should invest in, and that is re-signing Carmelo Anthony, or not yeah. re-signing, signing back Carmelo Anthony. And um, not only would it bring back some fans, just like some loyalty uh, with Carmelo Anthony being brought back, but Carmelo Anthony can stretch the floor. He's a good shooter. He can be an offensive threat 
uh, in the post, in the mid-range. He can, can go get a bucket if needed. And um, his defense can be, if they do keep Tibbs, his defense can be kind of um, helped with Tibbs' system. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I think Melo could be a, definitely a potential option. I, I love Melo. I was thinking, I know we didn't do much of this like we did on the, some of the other teams, but one thing I think they were missing is a little more um, scoring from the wing. Yeah. Somebody that you know you can give a bucket to, and they have, you know, RJ Barrett. I think will he might be there. I'm not sure if he's ready to just be that that guy. But even if you have, even if he's your starting guy on the wing, Carmelo can come off the bench. He, he can he can. There's not a thing offensively that Melo can't do. You mm-hmm. can post him up. He can be a spot up shooter. He can be a guy you get the ball to and go in the ISO and score. Um, yeah. At this point, he's a veteran. He's a fan favorite. He checks mm-hmm. all the boxes, you know. And I, I always think there is. Um, you should always buy stock in guys who maybe aren't stars but have been stars mm-hmm. because they're going to give you, you know, Melo's going to, he's been a star for years in this league. He's a, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer when he comes up for that. And I think having been the go-to guy, there are going to be nights where you can give him the ball and say, you know what, you got it tonight, go get us 30. Go mm-hmm. get us. He might have a 40-point game in him once or twice yeah. this year. He, you know, yeah. And even if he doesn't, he's going to be able to have that mindset that will allow him to be a champion in his much smaller role. We saw the way mm-hmm. he started the year out last year, uh, shooting the ball, specifically mm-hmm. at home, just from three. He was shooting at one point at home 60%. Yeah. You know, when you're the guy who's been used to scoring 30 points a game, I think that's part of why Derrick Rose was so good with them as well. He's used to being the guy, even though he's not that all the time. He can do that in bunches and in spurts. And even we saw him a couple years ago have a 50-point explosion. Yeah. I think guys like that are always, always, always going to be uh, helpful to a team. That just about does it for New York. We talked about off camera. It's like, it's kind of, it's not really, you think of New York, you think of New York, like the Mecca, all of that stuff, the the glamour. But yeah. their team, their basketball team is kind uh, of not the most interesting to talk about no. in basketball terms. No, no. So, um, ho- might be a shorter episode after editing and everything, but I'll give it back to Coach Coach. You want anything to say? Yeah, man. I, just, I think it's, that New York needs to, to do something here to change the perception of their team, like you were talking about, you talked about being known for the Mecca. They're known for having the arena where everybody comes to drop 40, 30, 40, yeah. 50, 60 on. You got to you gotta do something different to try to change that perception. You can't be the team that folks are circling on their calendar to <laughs> yeah. come get their career highs. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, so, it, it, yeah. they talk about Madison Square Garden, but it's really on the team. You know, not just on the not just the arena. Not, They're not scoring the that on the guy, on the players and coaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to Instagram. Go and follow the Pick and Roll Podcast underscore, and you can go follow us through the links and the tags. And yeah, that's a wrap.